Would you guys prefer playing homebrew or proper module such as something from the Forgotten Realms? Playing or DMing? Either. Both. But I like playing in a homebrew campaign that's well, care for, well cared for, but I will not create my own. I do not have the time of day. Um, as much I, as I would love to. I would prefer to DM my own thing. I find DMing out of the modules incredibly stressful. However, I want to play the modules. They exist. I would love to play in them. And so far, I haven't really had a bad experience playing them. A couple of them have been a bit, bit dry, but that's because they leave room for your homebrew. So, um, DMing, I want to run it my own and run my own world. Playing, I'd rather play in the modules, I think. Fair. For me, DMing, I'd like to base my own world off a module so you have most of the groundwork for you. But I would rather play modules. I've only played mainly homebrew campaigns, so I would love to actually play through a full module. That's fair. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on Dungeons & Dragons lore in the Forgotten Realms. I'm Dan, and with me today are Squeaky Chair Brad and James. <laughs> And this episode is called Forgotten Realms, Droves of Dropping Deities. Ooh, was that your own again? This one was my own, and I swear to God, it took me four weeks just to come up with the name. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> How long for the rest of the episode? We're not going to talk about months. Literally <laughs> months. Um, anyways, we have previously covered all sorts of locations in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, like the entirety of Toril with the deeper dives in Baldur's Gate, Chultz, Waterdeep, the Underdark, Icewind Dale, and the Sword Coast. Ravenloft, the Shadowfell, and Barovia, the Feywild, the Astral Sea, and the Lower Plains, and even Eberron, Ravnica, and Theros. We've done a bunch of these lore episodes, y'all. You can find all of them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can take a lightning rail over to YouTube and check out the entire playlist on Dungeons & Dragons lore that we've built there. This episode of the It's a Mimic podcast is going to bring us back to the Forgotten Realms for the fourth lore episode, but this time, we're getting spiritual. With everything going on on the ground of Toril, the activities of the gods during the Spell Plague and the Second Sundering have been the foundational events for Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. So today, this panel of Dungeon Masters seeks to open up the onion of the official pantheon of the Forgotten Realms while understanding how these two events shaped worship on Toril. But before we dip our toes into this lorshin, it's an ocean of lore. It's a oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, when you guys homebrew pantheons, how do you start? I don't. You don't? You I don't, don't ever homebrew your I own I don't pantheon? homebrew my own pantheons. No. No? no. Uh, what I haven't done a lot of world building to begin with. Mm -hmm. I, I mentioned off yeah, the top. Yeah, you, you tend to run out of modules more often than not. Yeah, yeah. or inherit a campaign setting. That doesn't have that a doesn't really have foundation. Of, out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's, that just gave you the freedom to build into what you wanted, Brad. If I wanted. Also... Our campaigns were both in the Forgotten That's Realms. That's true, actually. They were. I didn't have to do anything for that, which no, is nice. No, no. So you could have just used this. This episode came about and, four years too late. And now I have your wonderful campaign setting. Yes, that I, I build when my players ask me stupid questions at the table. Oh, it's the best. Oh, it's the Did greatest. you know that the world that he built is flat? 
Sure. It is. Okay. Now yeah. my second question is how does gravity work? Is it constant acceleration? It's my a character, spinning disc. My character so actually spinning believes disc, that it's round. to the outside. Yep. So it's a halo, essentially. Pretty you're, much. You're living on a halo ring. Yes. Exactly. I'm okay with that. But on, but like, it's still flat. Like, well, it's not the inside edge of the halo ring. It is, it is a disc. Oh, so they would be shot out across planarly. Yes. If, uh, okay. if that is the way the planar space worked around them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's, there's some, uh, I, the extraterrestrial uh, fuckery going on okay. on it. So, yeah. yeah. And then you've got my character who's convinced that the world is a cube. and it's, It is. He's the, a cube earther and it really pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. No I said it as a joke and then it stuck and now it it's part have. of my character. It would stick, yeah. It, it shouldn't have stuck. Uh, anyways, before we get going through the list of some of the capital P powers of the Pantheonic Sphere, let's establish some ground rules. In the last episode, we briefly discussed the actual and mythical creation of Toril, but in this episode, we wanted to highlight the Pantheon and all it has to offer, including the structure. But there's a problem. The only truly official lists of gods in the Forgotten Realms is in Skag and the Player's Handbook. The Dungeon Master's Guide does have a list, but more on that in a second. For the Sword Coast Adventures Guide, uh, this was one of the first books in 5th edition, coming out just a year after the release of the new edition. And we have gone at length into the inadequacies of this book. However, for the Pantheon, it's going to be our best and primary source. The list in the player's handbook is just simply a list. And there's no ranking or description of the hierarchy or anything like that of the gods. It's just a list of the gods that Wizards of the Coast seems to be hand-waving players to, to direct their research to the real-world god Google. The list in the DMG found on page 11 is an example of a homebrew deity list that openly admits pulling gods from the Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, Greece, and Egypt, as well as straight up fabricating three gods for that list. So it's not really a list that we can or will rely on. So time for the list. Now I'm going to run through the names of this list, mention some notable admissions, as well as quickly cover the groupings of lesser gods in the Forgotten Realms. But for now, let's just hit the main list that we find in Skag on page 21. There are a Kadi, a Monta... Uh, it got one in. I you got, one, got in. one in. You got the first one. Yeah. It's better than I would have done. A Kadi, a Mountator, uh, Asmodeus, Oriel, Azuth, Bane, Beshaba, Baal, Shantae, Siric, Denir, Aldath, Gond, Grumbar, Gueron, Windstrom... Helm, Hoar, Ilmeter, Istisha, Istitia, Istitia. Bless you. Yeah. Jurgle, Kelimvor, Kosuth, Lathander, Lyra, Lyra. Lyra and Lyra? They're different. Yeah, they're different and they're very different. Very different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Loviatar, Malar, Mask, Myliki, Milil, Mirkel, Mistra, Ogma, the Red Knight, Savras, Siloon, Char, Sylvanus, Soon, Talona. Lady Sylvanus. Wrong Sylvanus. Wrong Sylvanus. Uh, Soon, Talona, Talos, Tempest, Torm, Timora, Tyr, Umberly, Volker, and Joaquin. Sorry, I missed a couple. Can you go back to the middle? And... No, I will not. So, with that fre uh, list fresh in our mind, Brad, let's roll for initiative because I do have a quick question. I got a 15. Four. You got a 19. I got a 15. Oh, I got. I rolled the red die. Okay, so 
Uh, do you guys see any names that are glaringly missing here? For me, it was names like Bahamut, Tiamat, mm. the Raven Queen, Corlon the Rethian. You mean the Garl? ones that have actually been mentioned in 5th edition elsewhere? Yeah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, the ones that have been fleshed out elsewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Um, any ones that you guys are noticing that are missing? You got the big ones with Bahamut and Tiamat were the ones that stood out to me as missing. Yeah. Dendar for me. Yeah, yeah. But Dendar. I've used Dendar as a patron god mm -hmm. for multiple different it's a characters. Snake god, right? Yeah. Snake, snake god. god. Eater of Worlds, Mother of the Night Parade, which is what sold me on it the first time. I'm like, that sounds just badass. It also yeah. sounds like And Dendar. you're a, I believe, a neutral evil god. Yes. Which fit in with that character, so. Yeah. yeah. Well... I did some digging into why some of these gods were missing, including gods like Dendar. And it's because they're missing um, for one of two reasons. They are either racial gods like Dendar or Corallon, Groomsh or Garl Glittergold, or subdeific like Tiamat, Bahamut, and the Raven Queen. Now, I'll explain what subdeific means in a second here. The racial gods are discluded because of two reasons. Firstly, they are primarily and almost exclusively worshipped by members of those races. They care little for those outside of their kin and thus don't really make the full pantheon. Some, like Corallon, once sat in the main Ferunian pantheon before stepping back to focus on their people. Secondly, the main list I read is, is 48 names long. The dwarves come with another 13 gods, elves another 12, Drow have an additional five. Halflings have an additional six. Gnomes have nine additional gods. And orcs come back with six. Not to mention the blip -de lip dips of the worlds that are sitting pretty as the small, rare, individual racial gods. You didn't mention elven? Were there? Yeah, there are uh, 12 other elf gods. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. So, as much as I personally love the racial gods and their rich history, it makes sense why they'd be separated. And we'll hopefully cover them more in depth later we're not doing that in this episode this episode is going to focus on the main Faerunian pantheon as it's presented in skag okay now the sub deific gods like i mentioned earlier like tiamat and the raven queen sit outside the list because they are immensely powerful beings but aren't abundantly worshipped regardless of how many critical role edge lords may exist devoted to the raven queen <laughs> okay tiamat's followers are almost exclusively evil cultists and bahamut's are few and far between since the Platinum Dragon is personally chasing his nemesis and sister. The Raven Queen sits in power only slightly above a demon prince, which is why she has so much trouble with Orcus. Okay? So, sorry, edgy little kids out there, but the Raven Queen just isn't nearly as big a deal as you make her out to be. Like the Traveler. Yeah, like the Traveler. Same thing, right? Like yeah. the Raven Queen sits in this weird spot where she's very popular in, in like... <laughs> Culture of Dungeons and, and critical Dragons. role culture. And critical role culture as it is now. But as per base D&D 5e, she's barely a footnote as a Shadow Lord in the Shadowfell. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, like, it's... There are, there are, like, seven other gods of death who are all more powerful than her. Here's the thing with the deities, though, right? You're going to become familiar and intimate with the ones that are in your campaigns. Mm -hmm. And, like, this list that you read is so extensive and so flushed out with options yep that you're not going to run across all these in a campaign unless no. you're specifically dealing with the gods and their troubles even it's, then you're not going to run into all of them yeah in an average campaign. in an average campaign unless you are literally traipsing the heavens yeah. trying if to you're get going them all. after each and every single exactly. god to get your punch card done so yeah. you can be level 20 or yeah. whatever yeah sure yeah and and yeah no at most you'll probably 
at most, you will see, like, a snapshot of the Pantheon. Yeah. But, like, you'll have your specific gods. So if you would rather still be that edgy Raven Queen fanboy, by all means, go for it. I support that. Right? But understand that in the grand scheme of Faerunian power... If you choose the Raven Queen, you're kind of shooting low on the totem pole. Especially if for her domain. Like, yeah. as a death god, it's still kind of low on the totem pole. There are a few other gods that make the list above her. Yeah. Okay? Well, let's get into it. But before we do, one last reminder. This is a lore episode, not a DM's tips episode. Our goal is to let you know that the main pantheon... Uh, sorry. Our goal is to let you know who the main pantheon of the Forgotten Realms is and what they're up to. That said, this is how 5e presents a fully formed and thought out pantheon. We will be asking when this is all said and done, what piece of information we can pull into um, how to build our own pantheons when we're completed. Okay, so keep that in mind. Now, sit down, relax. I got a list to go through because that list I mentioned out earlier, I do want to break down who these gods are and what they do. Okay. We're going to go alphabetically. We'll stop to ask some questions occasionally. Okay. All right. Firstly is Akadi, who is the true neutral goddess of air called the lady of air, lady of the winds and the queen of air. You understand what her whole deal is. Akadi's symbol Water, is right? a simple. <laughs> nah. She's the goddess of podcasters. Oh, full okay. hot air. Yeah. Full hot air. Um, Akadi's symbol is a simple white cloud on a black background. Although her solitary domain is the Tempest domain, this Ooh. elemental focus goddess is also obsessed with freedom and travel. Okay. Understandable. Yeah. Um, she is one of four elemental goddess uh, gods who are actually primordial beings with the power of a god and not necessarily gods. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Um, Before um, the world had order. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amanator is the lawful neutral god of the sun, going by other names of Lathander, Keeper of the Yellow, Eternal or Golden Sun, Keeper of Law, and Atar the Merciless. Amanator is one of the oldest gods in the Pantheon, being worshipped by the wizards of Netheril back in the day. He is stern and committed to seeing justice and law of the celestial order withheld, and his domains are life and light. And his symbol, as it touches, is a golden sun. All that makes sense, Okay. Asmodeus the Cloven. Asmodeus is the Lord of the Ninth and the Old Hoof and Horn is the King of Hell. Literally the King of the Nine Hells. This lawful evil devil god is openly worshipped in Faerun. Let me say that again. Asmodeus is openly worshipped and accepted as a god in Faerun. Now, those who worship him seek individuality and control over their own line, uh, over their own lives, which is why he has gained acceptance since the spell plague. Now, his domains are knowledge and trickery, which track for a fiendish felon like him, and his symbol is three inverted triangles arranged in a singular long triangle. Okay, weird geography stuff. Anyways, Oriel is the Ice Dawn, Lady Frostkiss, and as you no doubt know, the Frost Maiden. This neutral evil goddess of winter's wrath is a deity of nature and tempest domains with a symbol of a six-pointed snowflake. If your character hails from Luskin or the frigid north of Icewind Dale, you may worship this harsh and selfish goddess, but it's not likely should you live outside of those places. Point of fact, her priesthood requires celibacy. Hmm. Azuth is the lawful neutral god of wizardry. He rules over the domains of arcana and knowledge, and his symbol is a left hand pointed upward, wreathed in flame. This lord of spellcraft, it should be noted, 
Uh, sorry, the Lord of Spellcraft, it should be noted that Azuth isn't a god of magic per se. That's Mr.'s bag. Neither is he a god of knowledge like fan favorite Ogba. No, this is the wizard's wizard. Azuth is followed by those who like studying, spreadsheets, and note-taking. His grouping of arcane nerds he calls a church will often point their left hands in the sky in a eureka moment when they uncover some sort of secret. He is literally just a god of nerds. So he's a god of wizards, is what you're telling me. Mm -hmm. Thus implying anytime a wizard creates a new spell, he knows it. Yes. That's pretty powerful beyond most of like... The base god thing. Yeah, but it still has to be within the realm and the bounds that Mistra sets out. Mistra is the goddess of magic. She Yes, so anything that is under that guise, including the powers of other gods, become known to the god of wizards. Though. Yeah. So you're set, as long as it's Arcana, you're able to use any god's power or any wizard's power. Yeah. Pretty much. That's is- pretty powerful. You got to think diagonally to use it. Oh, yeah. But... Yeah. He's the god of wizards, he would be. Let's get a little nerdier here, because we're talking about the god of nerds. Is Azuth alive and powerful and reigning at this point in history? Yes. Is he? Yeah. Because did he not lose most of his power with the spell plague? Did he He lost. He lost a lot of them and has come back since. He has come back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I've been... I've been doing some dives into, you know, the spell plague. Yeah. There are a few gods on this list. Azuth is one of them. The dead three are an example of gods that are on the main pantheon and are worshipped but have lost a lot of their powers. Yeah. Azuth kind of sits there. Azuth is basically just a really good wizard at this point in power level, right? He's still the god of wizards, but dude dude doesn't have like a home in the celestial planes anywhere. He's not the god he once was. He's not the god he once was, yeah. Speaking of the dead three, let's talk about the first one, and this is Bane. Bane, the Black Hand, is the lawful evil god of tyranny. This Lord of Darkness is not only a member in the Dead Three, a grouping of evil gods brought low by the events of the Spell Plague and seeking to regain their power, but also wants everything that Asmodeus seemed to have attained. Power infinite. Also wanted to fight Batman. Oh, well, yeah, he wants to break uh, break the bat. But nobody who cared who he was they put on the mask. Well, yeah, that's why he's Bane. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I Bane... wish this was a visual medium so people could have seen that. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it's not. Bane is openly worshipped by the ambitious and controlling. And while they may be good for military leaders and soldiers, doesn't work so well for your farmhands or milkmaids. His domain is exclusively war and his symbol is a black hand upright with the thumb and fingers together, which, by the way, is not an Italian like... Hey, it's not, the, it's like a raising your hand for a question. Uh, like an open palm raising to the sky. Yeah. Okay. But Shaba is the chaotic evil goddess of misfortune, much like our luck with this podcast, and is a capricious evil goddess that loves to see others brought low by seemingly random chance. Lady Doom is seen as a sister to Timora, and although her main domain is trickery, is a common patron to druids who view the goddess as part of the first circle and give her the sim and they gave her the symbol of a set of black antlers. Cool. Yeah. Next is Ball, another member of the Dead 3 and the neutral evil god of murder. His symbol, which is a skull surrounded in droplets of blood, strikes fear in the meek and promise uh, and promise to the hunted. His, like his friends Miracle and Bane, Baal was once a brutal human who ascended to godhood through savagery and bloodshed. 
Although worship of him is often looked down upon, those who seek the death of someone whisper his name and beg for his bloodletting ways. Party. Fair. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, the Dead 3 play big into the Baldur's Gate game. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if you just want to read the first half of that before you go to hell and have a full level 20 campaign, you can. And the Dead 3 are going to have to play a big part of it. Okay. Um, let's, let's go on to slightly uh, brighter gods here. And this is Shantae. Shantae is the goddess of agriculture, often called the Great Mother or the goddess of the grain. She is neutral good and rules over the domain of life. Her symbol, a sheaf of grain or a rose in bloom over, you guessed it, grain, um, really hits home what she's all about, which I guess is bread. I mean, I love fresh bread. That's true. Or pasta. Or mm. anything made out of a grain product. Yeah. You know, yeah. Beer. Cyric <laughs> <laughs> is another human-made god, and like Bane and Ball, this guy isn't so great. Cyric is the chaotic evil god of lies, which makes trickery his sole domain. His symbol is a white jawless skull on black or purple sunburst. Cyric once was a deceitful and minor god until he managed to trick and kill Mistra, which was the event that some say spawned the spell plague. We'll get more into that later. Cyric is now primarily worshipped in Am, and although the rest of the world considers the god a madman, Amnites use his epitaph of a dark sun rising to be the entropy of all bonds. Hmm. God of entropy? God of entropy. I'm down with that. And lies. Well, isn't entropy a lie? Kinda? Well, life is a lie that leads to entropy, but that's a different story. We're not going to get into that philosophical argument. (laughs) On our next podcast. (laughs) Uh, Denir is the next god before we take a little bit of a break here. Uh, Denir is, like Azuth, a nerd god. The god of writing is a neutral good god overseeing the arcana and knowledge domains. His symbol is a lit candle above an open eye, which I would assume is making it easier to read your books at night. Is the eye below the candle or above the candle? It is below the candle. Below so the wax can drip into the eye. Yeah, but not so the fire is cooking the eye. Yeah. I don't know what would be worse. Well. Probably the first one. Yeah. I'd rather have wax than cooked. I would rather have wax than cooked. Because I got a brow that could catch it. I don't think your brow would. That's just an eyeball. I don't know. I'm kind of the missing link. I've got a big, fair, sloped forebrow. Anyways, um, the god of the one and only Catterley, for all you old book fans um, like me, Denir is closely tied with Ogma, often called the first scribe or the scribe of Ogma. Simply, he is the god of literacy and literature, and those who follow him create vast libraries, scrambling like madmen to prevent all knowledge from being lost to time. So guys, let's grab our dice, and I want to ask which of these gods interests you the most? I got a 10. I got a 16. Okay, which one interests you the most? Which one are you most likely to use in your campaign? Uh, Denier. And because they are the god of knowledge and all of that, I would use them as a resource for the party. So the party needs to find a certain piece of information so they can go to some great librarian, fight and kill and do something about it. But if they ask the right priest, they'll be able to go pray here for a little guidance and meet this god. Cool. We'd easily able to say, oh yeah, here's the information. So-and-so wrote it down this day. It's in my own giant library, but I know where everything is. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, it's, it's Azuth. 
I love Azuth. I love the nerdy god who's like brought low. I just envision him in a library somewhere, just like up to his neck in scrolls and occasionally like sighing, getting mad and like setting off a burst of power as some high level cleric of Azuth has like requested a spell from him. He's like, oh, fuck, fine, there. <laughs> and then going back to his studies, like, this is a guy who doesn't like to be interrupted. He's kind of, um, I, I kind of see, like, Gandalf in um, the the tomes. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like, that that whole uh, thing. And I, I don't know, man. I just love, I love the... Anything with a book. Anything with a book. We're so just going to drop like, you off in Canada. He's, like, he's, also, he's also one of the most just intriguing of this list, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, the dead three are the dead three. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to use them anyways. He's the one that I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Brad? I first gut instinct with Shantea. Yeah. Because every culture needs agriculture, and it's just going to be so ingrained uh, 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 go home. In, in the people. <laughs> gladly. <laughs> it's so ingra- But it is so ingrained in, you know, part of culture. But as I was looking at it a little bit more, I think it was actually, um, if I'm going to have a player who wants to play a halfling, in order to counteract that halfling luck, I want to toss Bishaba at them. Okay. Yeah. And really kind of mess with that, right? This character who's had their whole life of luck, and I'm even going to give them, you know, the first four or five levels, and then all of a sudden their luck's not going to be working the way it used to. And the reason is, they caught the eye of Bishaba or, you know, some priests of Bishaba, and now Mm -hmm. they're screwing with the luck of that part. That just seems like a fun... Not for long, right? You're going to piss off your player if you take their, you know, one of their primary racial abilities, but... For a little while, I think it'll make for a memorable moment. Though, oh, absolutely, where they lose that luck or they have disadvantage on every roll, yeah. so they've essentially lost that exactly. luck. But when they do succeed, even a minor success, it's always better. Yeah, like you're always getting the best of the worst luck. Sure, yeah, sure. So yeah, you may run into a platinum dragon or a full raged out red dragon, but he only has one hit left. Right. So you get together and stab him one time. You guys get a bunch of experience, but you still ran into a yeah. red dragon. Yeah, I can see that. So moving on, Eldath is the next god on our list, and she is the neutral good goddess of peace. She sits in power over the domains of life and nature, and a veil that is full of her power will always contain her symbol, a simple waterfall into a still pond. Eldath is the quiet god and the guardian of groves, and as such, is often worshipped by druids and rangers who seek the peace of nature. Like Bashaba, Eldath is considered part of the first circle, which is like the first circle of druids. Um... Next is going to be Gond. He is the Wonderbringer, holy maker of all things and an artificer's Wayne Gretzky. The neutral god of crafting, and I'm not talking like pin needle crocheting. Are we talking about beer making? Well, I'm more like wonderful craft, I guess, sure. He probably... beer? No, because that's all IPAs, and IPAs are fucking garbage. Anyways, uh, he has the domain of knowledge, and his symbol is a gear with four spokes. Dwarves, blacksmiths, woodworkers, and other craftsmen worship Gond for inspiration, creativity, and patience for homeowners who won't stop asking questions and let me get to the goddamn job already, goddammit. How's the new job going, Dan? Yeah, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Groombar is the neutral elemental god of Earth. This guy is along the same line of uh, Asbar that we talked about earlier. Mm Mm-hmm. he makes the list due to open worship to the boss of Earth, that's actually one of his names, the gnarly one, I'm loving this guy more and more, and the king of the land below the roots. Huh. This what? guy's amazing. That's a great name. 
Anyways, like the other elemental lords, he was once a primordial who remained on Toril when it separated from Abir. But one would think that the stalwart god of ground just wanted to stay put. Oddly, Grumbar, whose symbol is a simple mountain, is a god of the knowledge domain. Mm-hmm. Which is, I did the math, the most common of the domains. Yeah. Yes. We've heard it like three times in a row now. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 Knowledge is like a secondary domain of theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially older editions. I don't know how common it is in fifth. I can understand knowledge for him, though, because all knowledge gets buried. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's move on to the next one, who is Gueron Winstrom. Um, He is the master ranger and the mouth of Myleki. This neutral good god of tracking, knowledge, and nature was once a mortal man raised to godhood by Myleki for his unmatched tracking abilities. His symbol is a paw print with a five-pointed star in the middle, and he is almost exclusively worshipped by survivalists and men with names like Bobcat Ovens, or Elk Stovetop, or Bear Grills. So Dave's characters? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the first last name we've had on the list so far. Uh, yeah, uh, there are a couple humans that have been made, but they are all like, I'm like Cher now. I've got yeah, one no, name. I would do it too. Like, I no. wouldn't have a last name if I you became just, a god. But would it be James? Yeah. Would you be James or would you come up with a I'd come up with a better name. Yeah. I don't personally. James is a good name. Honestly, don't get me wrong. I honestly but. don't like it. The letter J for writing it, it's too soft around the corners. I'd like a sharp A. I, I do my James, I do my J's a weird way. Like, I, I always just have like the handwriting J when I do yeah. it. Yeah, I do too. It's but. just faster. Yeah, I work with I work with a Johnny and a Jared. So like I have to sign their names into paperwork mm. a lot. It pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Anyways, next is Helm, who is the watcher. He's the uh he of the unsleeping eyes is the vigilant, lawful, neutral god of well, watchfulness. That makes sense. Yeah. Rocking the domains of light and life for some reason. Um, with a symbol of a staring eye on upright left gauntlet. Helm is the Paladin's God, a God of supreme protection. He is often worshipped by those who swear oaths to guard and or to protect. You had me until Paladin God because our Druid likes to watch. So I thought this would be the perfect God for our Druid. Yeah, okay. But maybe not Paladin. Maybe not. Next is Hor, or sorry. Sorry, <laughs> try again. Next is Hoar. There you go. Um... Yeah, this one's problematic when you try to say it quickly. Anyways, if you were the god of retribution and revenge, what would your alignment be, would you think? Retribution and revenge? Lawful, lawful neutral. Yeah, lawful neutral. You both call lawful neutral. I went uh, retribution and revenge. That's evil to me. But this no. guy is, you're right, lawful neutral. Yeah. And his domain, and, and has the domain of, unsurprisingly... War. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, retribution and revenge means something was done to you. Whether you whether it was really just or not, something was done to you. So you're following and it a violated your set law. of laws yeah. that you're getting revenge on. And you're not just killing randomly, so you're not evil and you're not letting it brush off your yeah. shoulders. So you're not good. I've, I've always struggled that with vengeance paladins yeah. being labeled as lawful evil as well. I mean, the way most people play lawful, or Vengeance Paladins, yes, they yeah, are Yeah, they're more just out to kill anything associated with, that ever yeah, associated exactly. with yeah. anything. Um, Hoar is, uh, I mean, yeah, you're both completely right on that. I mean, it's, uh, when you start really breaking down and getting into uh, alignments when it comes to this shit, it could go haywire real quick. And there's a lot of people who justify their actions by being, oh, I'm... I am I am a vengeance paladin, thus I could kill anything that is evil. Makes me really happy that paladins don't have detect evil anymore like mm-hmm. they used to. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, anyways, back to Hoar. 
His symbol is a coin with a two-faced head. Two-faced. There's more Batman here. And he's often called the Doombringer or the Poet of Justice, which I like. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That is a good one. Yeah. Um, he goes by another name uh, entirely in the inner sea, which is Asurin, which there are countries named after this guy. So he's fairly big deal. Anyways, he is the Batman of the Pantheon, often called upon but when those seek vengeance for a perceived slight against a foe or a person, they have no personal power to overcome. I'm whore. Yeah. Yeah. Next on the list is Ilmeter. This is the god of what I need to get through this list. Endurance. <laughs> this lawful good god of the life domain is often called the crying god, the rack broken lord, or simply he who endures. Ilmeter suffers so others will not have to, and his followers tend to take on those beaten down by life and circumstance and build them up out of their sorrows. Priests of Ilmeter are altruists to the truest sense, and can be seen with the symbol of hands tied with a red cord, or simply a red cord prominently displayed on their armor. I fucking love Ilmeter, because he is also a, not only is he kind of a messianic level character, but he's another one of these humans that through altruism and self-sacrifice became a god. Yeah, um, I can and, see and, it with that one. And is one of the like only really like true good gods on the list. All the other gods, like they're good and, right? But he's one of the ones who's like altruistic, altruistic, self-sacrificing and good. Like seeks to benefit everyone around him. Yeah, I can see that, especially because he was a human that became a god, especially on the good side. I think your definition of good would be different. Yes. Mm -hmm. If you were born a god, your definition of good for a life that lives three seconds in your time span, yeah. a few million of them dying is not that big a deal to you. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, Istitia is the third of the elemental lords on this list, and this one being focused on water. When their name was on the thing, it made me consider removing them from the list, but because Skag included them, mm -hmm. I had to keep them in. Like it or not. Yeah. The neutral water lord, or god king of Undines, is marked with the symbol of a wave and has a tempest domain under his portfolio. This guy's a water god. If you're playing Princes of the Apocalypse, you'll need to know more about him and the other elemental lords. Um, but... To be completely honest, when it comes to these guys, there's very little to them outside of Princes of the uh, Princes of the Apocalypse. Okay, next is Jurgal. Jurgal is one of my favorites. If Denier is the first scribe, Jurgal is the final scribe. Ooh, he fun. is the lawful neutral scribe of the dead, keeping and and writing in the Book of the Dead. His symbol is fitting: a skull biting a scroll, and he oversees the knowledge and death domains. The bleak Seneschal, as he's known, was once worshipped as a god of death and murder by the Netherese. Mm. This was like the big god of death for the Netherese. But abdicated his power to three upstart adventurers who sought to murder the god of death. With Bane, Baal, and Mirkel ascending to godhood with a fraction of Jurgal's power that he gave up willingly to who became the dead three, Jurgal now aids Kelimvor in tracking the dead and those who worship him are typically typically funerary directors and undertakers. He was the god of death. These three guys came up, threatened his life, and he's like, no, you guys take the responsibility. I just want to write. That's actually a great solution yeah. for a god fight. Like, right. you know what? Do it then. Yeah. Just you take over. But think of all the problems we've had in 5e and D&D &D lore in general with Bane, Ball, and Miracle. 
and then realized that their powers combined was what Jurgle gave up willingly. Mm-hmm. How much more does he have that he's still right? on to? And and he willingly sits in subservience to Kelimbor. Yeah. Who's not a bad god. He's no. the god of death, but he's not a bad god. Let, no, let's talk about oh. Kelimbor next. All right. Let's do it. Kelimbor is the new lord of the dead and his lawful and this lawful neutral god cares nothing for mortal drama. He is the balanced judge of the damned and is seen as fair and just, funnily enough. His symbol is a skeletal hand holding a scale and unsurprisingly, he presides over the death domain. His faithful... Sorry, his faith is held in common practice across Faerun, and he is seen to work with Jurgal to know the time someone is going to die, and his followers will graciously guide the dead and their family through that process. Kelimvor is not feared. Kelimvor is respected. He is a god of death that people are like, uh, go to for comfort. Death is going to come. Yeah. Right? He is not bringing death. He is simply dealing with death. followers are therapists. You yes. do realize yeah. that. Oh, yes. yes. You're dying, so come here and we'll train you how to handle it as a family afterward. Yeah. yeah. All they are is therapists. Yeah, and, and because there is no morality to him, he <laughs> is just straight up, you are either dying or you are alive. Yep. Yeah. Right? And if you are dying, I will care for you through this movement, because I understand that this is a trying time. Mm-hmm. But you are dying. Yes. Simple. Death is traumatic. All things die. Do. Death yeah. comes to all things, especially in Dungeons and Dragons, oh, including yeah. gods. I, I yes. appreciate the fact that the last two that we've covered, both being dealing with death, have both been neutral. Yeah. Right? There isn't evilness no. in death. Death itself is not evil. Oh, wait, wait, wait till we talk about the evil death. It gods. is, well, they, they, they exist. There's still. a difference between the bringers of death and those yeah. who come alongside during death or, you know, death. or, you know, just do the clerical work of yeah. keeping track of who's dead. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the last of our elemental lords in the list here, and that is Kosuth. Who is basically the Ragnaros of 5e. All three of us played World of Warcraft, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so like, we all know who Rag is. Anyways, the Fire Lord, which is literally one of his names. And the Tyrant King of Flame, Metal. That's a great name. Yeah, is a surprisingly neutral god of fire. He is always portrayed as super fucking evil, but no, he's neutral. Like all the elemental gods are. Fire should be neutral, neutral, but chaotic. I... Because fire does not care what it consumes. Yeah, fire is not evil no. in itself. It just no. it is a tool for the it, evil. Yes, yes. Anyway, but it's also a tool for good. Without fire, humans wouldn't have eaten. Creatures in five E wouldn't have grown into society. It would be cold. Exactly. Well, and and this is the thing. Like he he isn't so much about the consumption and like the the destruction that fire brings. He's about the purification that it brings. Mm. His just he just thinks everything needs to be purified, yeah. which is us. Uh, there's a line. Yeah. There. Uh, there's an Agent Smith level of confusion. <laughs> there's a lot that can be purified. Yeah. Though. So he seeks purification through flame and he is tied in closely, uh, like we learned last time, with the red wizards of Thay who primarily worship him. Okay. Next is Lathander. He is, uh, I mean, wait, we said his name already. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess welcome to the show. Lathander is the morning lord. The inspiration's dawn and the neutral good god of dawn and renewal. His symbol is a rising gold sun, which sounds like a monta, uh, a mount, uh, tor already. Yep. And he sits over the domains of life and light, like a mount tor. If this sounds like a mount tor, 
That's because these two are one and the same, but also distinct. And it's very confusing, 5e. I play them as separate gods, but they have been and are mentioned as being the same people in as recently as Rime of the Frostmaiden. Oh, so it's like the Osiris raw bullshittery from ancient Egypt. Yes. Where he's are. like his dad, but also himself, but also another god. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. But here's the other thing. Like, um, Amanator is, uh, going to scroll here. Amanator is lawful neutral. Lathander's uh, neutral good. Like, there's an alignment difference with them. There's a spicy third one they're keeping in the back. Maybe. <laughs> the, I, don't, I don't know of another sun god that might be there. But hiding like, him. Shh. Hey. He's on the other side of that sun. Well, okay, let's let's move on from the confusing to the more confusing. Lyra is the goddess of deception and illusion. She's chaotic neutral and presides over the trickery domain while being symbolized by a five-point triangle containing a swirl of mist. Not much is known specifically about Lyra since the deceptive deity actively obfuscates any information about her. She was once dead and is back again. She's the guardian of liars and is often called the mist's shadow. If you swirl a finger behind your back when lying, you seek her blessings over your falsehoods. Hmm. We'll get to the fucking god later, don't worry. If your player does that, they deserve advantage. Yes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if they don't call out the whole thing. They just tell you they did it behind the back. Okay. Uh, we're going to do one more, and then we'll move on. Next, after we're done, Lyra is... Uh, Lyra. Lyra. <laughs> Spelt differently. Two very go different gods. Same names. It's frustrating. Anyways, uh, Lyra is the goddess of joy and revelry. The chaotic good goddess of life has a triangular uh, has a triangular symbol of three pointed stars and she mainly seeks freedom and dancing and merriment for all who worship her. She hates violence and enforces a life of the party mood with all of her priests and faithful. Okay, guys, let's grab our dice. She's the same god. But and roll it. Who is your favorite god or what insights do you have here? I got Ten. Eleven. Thirteen for me. I will go first this time. Um, so out of that list, there were two that stood out to me. So I'll try and do both real quick. The big one for me, especially being Gaunt, um, I'm on a real artificer kick right now. And just makers, creators, like cool. that stood out to me. But also um, Helm really stood out to me. Right? The Watcher. I got a real, uh, like, Asgardian. Yeah. yeah, Asgardian vibe from him. Yeah. Which, like, I just loved it. So okay. both of those. Uh, for, for me... Um, I, I mean, man, I, I love Jurgle. And like the Netherese gods, there's a few of them on this mm -hmm. list. The gods that were worshipped in Netheril, which is an ancient civilization that was full of evil wizards. Um, I, they're so compelling and interesting. I would love to have a campaign featuring Jurgle. So, so far you've gone with a nerd and a scribe. Telling. Yeah. It's very telling. Accurate. For James. me, I would do Eldath, the goddess of peace. Mm -hmm. But I want her to go to war. The goddess of peace who war. No, she actively wants to march to war. Something happened to her that it outweighs her desire of inborn deity of peace to march to war. Okay, well, that's cool. For her, it's the peace of nature, right? So if something threatens nature to the point where she feels she needs to intervene and go to war. But I think that'd be planetary wide before first, mm. too, and then a lot of other gods would be pissed. Yeah. So what's causing her to exclusively mm. march to war? And you can be on her side as players, that you are helping her arm for war. You're helping prepare her followers for yep. war. 
All right, let's move on here to, uh, we've been talking about evil gods of death. Let's talk about our first one on this list, which is Loviator. She is the lawful evil death goddess of pain. Her symbol is a cat of nine tails whip and her faithful mark themselves uh, with uh, self-flagellating. Kinky. Which I, which I spelled wrong here. Now, like the monk from the Da Vinci Code, her faithful <clears throat> see pain as a gift from their matron. And they wish to spread that pain out far and wide, either through psychosexual BDSM rituals, which is in the book. It mentions that they have, like, weird psychosexual rituals. Um, Customers yours? Yeah, and uh, to outright murder and assassination. So the Eldar. Uh, Dark Eldar. Dark Eldar. Eldar. Very much, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was actually. The Eldar were pretty bad themselves on their planet ships. Yeah, but. I was more thinking not, Slanesh, but well, yes. Slanesh yeah. that was yes. raised by the Eldar on their pleasure ships and. They, they, 40k lore. They released, they released the squats. squats, and I looked at my collection of miniatures going, no, I can't. I know. But I must. Dan I messaged can't. me, and I, I was like, they almost are pulling me back in. Almost. That's that'll close. get cut, but that's fine. Yeah. Malar, next on the list, is the Black-Blooded, and he's the chaotic evil god of uh, god of the hunt, whose symbol is a clawed paw. He brings the wild, deadly, unforgiving aspects of nature to light and is often worshipped by those who share his brutal hunter-slash-prey worldview and take passionate delight in the act of the hunt and of taking of life. He is often worshipped by, you know, lycanthropes or psychopaths. Sports hunters. Yeah. Dave. <laughs> Matt Dave, Dave hasn't hit anything hunting in a while Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he tries Does he? I think I'm pretty sure hunting is just an excuse to drink for Dave And get out in the woods Yeah Next is Mask, who is the Lord of Shadows and the Master of Thieves He's The Mask? The, uh, not the, not Jim Carrey um, This This is, uh, what was his name? Kennedy uh, Bobby? No <laughs> Mask 2 Oh, I did not see it. Oh, oh yeah. God, that's going to bother me. Um, no, it's not Jim Carrey. Uh, he is the god of the guileful, the patron of the pickpocket, and the deity of the dastardly. Put effort into that, motherfuckers. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the chaotic neutral trickery god, symbolized with a black mask. Calm down, Batman fans. You get one mention an episode. He believes that possession is nine-tenths of the law, and the other tenth can be shivved in an alley for the right price. Fair. Oh, yeah. yeah. Myleki is the powerful, neutral, good goddess of the forest or the forest queen. Her symbol is a unicorn's head and her domain is exclusively nature. This remote and supernatural deity uh, cares for the woods and those who call them home and is fiercely protective of the beasts and bushes under her care. She is good friends with the god of unicorns, LaRue, who I will not be mentioning in this list, and will often be seen naked in the moonlight riding LaRue through the blessed boughs of the beautiful or through the blessed boughs of beautiful birch how do i get that job um larue is a unicorn so step one be a unicorn cool okay yeah. oh, no i want to be the one naked riding a unicorn through step two, nobody else wants that mental image and probably be a virgin that's usually how unicorns yeah work. pretty oh. virginal yeah bicorns you can ride if you're not if i remember my fantasy lore correctly the f- a bicorn a bicorn's just a fucking deer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> like fantasy <laughs> people don't know this. <laughs> like few other gods, she is off. Or sorry, like a few of the other gods, she is also one of these uh, gods who is seen as a member of the first circle and a sister to Eldath, who we mentioned earlier. Melil is the bard's god. 
He is a neutral good god of poetry and song, symbolized with a five-stringed harp made of leaves. The one true hand of all-wise Ogma, which is one of his titles, loves song, creativity, and eloquence. He seeks, like Denier, to gather all creative verse and prose together, and his churches are often part conservatory, part theater, and part library. His domain is the light domain, although I would give him knowledge too, personally. Next is probably one of my favorite gods on this list. This is Miracle, who is the last of the dead three, and in my honest opinion, the best of them. Miracle was, as mentioned before, one of the three adventurers who sought out to kill the god of death in the age of the Netheril. The god gave up his power willingly and bestowed it to Miracle and his companions, granting Miracle the power over the dead. Old Lord Skull, and or the Lord of Bones, is a neutral evil god of death and is symbolized with a white human skull. Miracle is seen as a reaper, doling out death to any who would cross his crooked path. And let me tell you, he loves his undead. Okay? Next is Mistra, and we're going to move on, because she is such an important god to the lore of 5e, we need to do a deep dive. So by the end of this episode, we will be doing a deep dive on her. We're just not going to cover her now. Next is Ogma. He's the daddy of knowing, the binder of the book, and the lord of all knowledge. His symbol is a blank scroll, and this neutral god sits king over the knowledge domain. Many other powerful deities are in service to Ogma, who is fascinated with the concept of ideas. This makes him worshipped by craftsmen, inventors, and wizards alike. There's a saying among the worshippers of Ogma that I'm just going to read verbatim here. An idea has no heft, but it can move mountains. An idea has no authority, but it can dominate people. An idea has no strength but it can push aside empires. Knowledge is the greatest tool of the mortal mind outweighing anything made by mortal hands. Before anything else can exist, the idea must first exist. <laughs> There's a reason Ogma is one of my favorite gods, y'all. Fair? Yeah. Next is the Red Knight, who's the lawful neutral goddess of war. The, lawf the Red Knight is a master strategist, and those who worship her are militaristically like-minded. Her focus is strictly strategy, as she was once a human who so outfoxed the god of war Tyr himself on the battlefield that he caused her to, uh, that he caused, sorry, that he brought her to godhood and caused many other, and caused many others to worship her as, as a god as well. Her priests are war clerics, traveling from kingdom to barracks and in between, teaching military code and strategy to commanders and generals and kings. So guys, let's grab our dice. Let's roll again. Who do we like the most here? I got a four. Five. One. Not one. James, of this list, who do you like the most so far? Ogma, obviously, just because Ogma. Oh yeah, you can't the, go wrong with Ogma. Yeah, yeah, but out of that, I would do the Red Knight. I'm always a big fan of humans reaching godhood, especially against a god that's like their thing. A lot of yeah. the gods in the Faerunian pantheon are humans who by either divine gift or uh, worship or circumstance became gods. So one of the points I really want to drive home that we're seeing is a lot of the gods in Faerun were people, were adventurers. Gives your players something to aspire towards, mm -hmm. right? Um, for me, I mean, I, I'm going to go with Miracle. There's actually a adventure path called Cauldron which was back in 3.5. It is my favorite adventure path. I love it. It takes you to the plane of cysts. Huh. Yummy. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot to love about it. You fight a beholder eventually. You flood a crater town, which is cauldron. Yeah. Like it, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to it. So um, 
yeah, it's badass and it heavily features Miracle and started my love for him. So as much as I love Ogma of that list, Miracle is my favorite. I want to say Maliki now because I want my players to come into a forest at night and find just this random woman on the back of a unicorn, spade the moonlight, singing a song, and being like, what the hell did we just find? Stark ass naked on a unicorn. Yeah. On a cloudy yeah. night. Like yeah. There's a hole of moonlight but, sticking through yeah. the clouds following her. But as they get closer, they realize it's Deadpool. All right. So moving on. <laughs> Savras the All-Seeing. God, I hate you. Uh, Savras the All-Seeing is the god of divination, foretelling, and fate. Who I wish I had before we invited you into the podcast. He holds into your the, life. <laughs> he holds the arcana and knowledge domains close at hand and is symbolized by a crystal ball containing many eyes. Often called upon during occult divination rituals of political rivals to the determination of future spouses, simply chanting his name into a mirror can call on a vision of the future. Bloody Mary. Uh, yes, but less... Bloody. Murdery? Bloody, less murdery. But that's a vision of the future, is it not? It... Uh, I am concerned. Your <laughs> <laughs> first time being concerned by James? Uh, by James. Really? really? Maybe. Really? I might have suppressed the other times. <laughs> you may yeah, have. I would Maybe. assume so. Yeah. I feel like this isn't the first. <laughs> uh, moving on, we're going to cover Saloon, who's the lady in silver, the moon maiden, and the night white lady. Saloon is the goddess of the moon and is thought to be among the most ancient of Toral's deities. This chaotic, good, knowledge and life goddess, whose symbol is a set of eyes surrounded with seven stars, is a calm, benevolent ruler of the night sky, often worshipped by sailors and love-struck partners throughout the realms. Her legend involves the next god on the list, who is her counterpoint, and that is Shar, the evil twin sister of Saloon and mistress of night and Our Lady of Loss. This neutral evil... Death and trickery goddess of darkness, forgetfulness, secrets, and loss is symbolized by a black disc encircled with a purple border. She is said to have lost her to her battle and sister who sits watch over the night to protect those from Shar's evil machinations. Sylvanus, the oak father or old oak or old father tree, is the entirety of nature embodied. He is the god of wild nature and as such is true neutral. His symbol is an oak leaf that is in the shape of an old man's face. He is grim and severe and unforgiving. He seeks nature's preservation and sees civilization as a plague upon unfettered wild. Many of his followers oppose expansion, industry, and anything else that would harm the wilds. That's interesting. I had an old Tom Bombadil until we got to the... Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, definitely not. Not. That no. was the first place I was going, and then we went hard, hard left. left. Yeah, Hard left, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's do another one, and we'll do uh, soon. Who is your boinking god? Which my computer initially autocorrected as booking, and I had a chuckle at the irony. <laughs> um, Lady Firehair, which is that racist? No, I don't think so. Against gingers? The Lady of Love and the Princess of Passion soon is a chaotic good goddess of love and beauty. Her church, although altruistic, espouses the tenets of beauty above all things, from fashion to art to sex and everything in between. Leave it to the redhead to be the nympho. Yeah, right? Anyways. That feels uh, like a trope. That just... It feels tropey. It, it feels tropey. Anyways, Talona is the next, and she is the chaotic evil death goddess of poison and disease. Her symbol is a triangle made of three teardrops. Another evil goddess of death, the plague crone, is often worshipped by assassins and hags alike, but she is also fascinated with the number three, and many of her rituals will involve that number. Ooh. So if you are having a coven of hags... That worshiper, everything's going to be the number three with these guys. I mean, you got Kevin Hags, you're going to probably have three anyways, but... Which makes sense. Yeah, here it right? is. Yeah. Here's the tie. 
Talos is for you, Brad. Here it is. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is the Storm Lord. Boring. The chaotic evil Tempest God of Storms. <laughs> His symbol is three lightning bolts radiating from a point, which is your boner. Mm -hmm. Talos is the counter to Meleki and is the dark, deadly side of nature personified. Natural disasters like earthquakes, tornadoes, and tsunamis are attributed to this malicious deity who echoes Thor and Odin in his appearance of a bearded man with an eye patch. He wields three staves, one being made from the first tree that was ever chopped down, the first silver ever smelted, and the first iron forged. And with these staves, he sunders the land and the elements alike. Where does he hold the third stave? In his mouth. Like Zoro from One Piece? Yes, I appreciate you. Tempest, the Fohammer, is the neutral god of war whose symbol of a blazing iron sword wreathed in flame can be seen waving over pretty much every major conflict in favor. Tempest takes sides in war, but is also concerned with bravery and honor in battle. He is known to swap sides in war, drawing the conflict out to glorious bloodshed over and over. So he's Swiss. Neutral. Uh, no, because he's involved. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. He's uh, not just taking their money. more like Italy. Yeah. Starts it on one side, realizes he's losing, and hops Not's to the other, other team. Kinda, yeah. Well, but more the but other side. he would side. flip the other it's way. It's more the other way. Like, he joins the side until they're winning, and then... He's like, like, oh, no, over like, there. No, 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 no. They need my help now. This is more fun if they're... Yeah. So, um, he seeks fair wars and thinks mortals need to stop fearing war as a concept and see it as a natural event to be prepared for. Like, I mean, you're gonna get in a fight, so fight. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. Torm is the true, uh, Torm the true is the lawful good war god of courage and self-sacrifice. If Tempest is about fairness of battle, then Torm is the god who rewards honor and duty. Torm's symbol is a single white right-handed gauntlet showing him as the sword of tear. Those who follow Torm seek corruption, betrayers, and those who would take advantage of others. One of the main tenets of Torm is the hand resolute, depicting Torm with his sword hand outstretched. This uh, teaches his followers to pause and consider before swiftly dealing judgment. Timora is the smiling lady luck. Timora is the chaotic good god of trickery and good fortune, and her symbol is a face-up coin. Her followers yell, fortune favors the bold, and she's often given whispered prayers over gambling tables, birthing rooms, and hospital waiting rooms. She is, uh, she is seen as the good side of a coin... Uh, Sorry. She is seen as the good side of the coin opposite Bishaba, and many of her followers will carry a marked coin to judge if luck has smiled on a person that day. Okay? Tyr, old Grim Jaws, is the lawful good war god of justice. His symbol is a set of balanced scales atop a warhammer and can often be seen emblazoned on the metal armor of his followers. Being the god of justice, Tyr, who is also one of the oldest gods in the pantheon, um, Tyr is blind. Justice is blind. Right? This is, uh, this truth, uh, uh, sorry, truth is that this is both metaphorical and literal, and literal, as uh, he is both the god of justice and actually maimed. He is missing his right hand, which he lost to a chaos hound, and wears a bandage over his eyes when he questioned Ao's actions. We haven't mentioned Ao yet. I'm going to talk about him in a second. His followers are charged with righting wrongs and hunting villains, though they do tend to be too quick to judge and stiff-necked in their beliefs and morality. Okay? All right. We're on the final three, guys. All right, ready. Umberly, the bitch queen of the depths and wave mother. Oh, so that is actually right. I wasn't sure if that was a typo. That is not a typo. This chaotic, evil, tempest goddess of the sea is worshipped primarily by seaside communities. 
Although her worship, like Aurel's, tends to be done out of fear and survival rather than any real reverence. Many crews of ships will toss a portion of their cargo or loot into the seas as an offering to the Wave Mother for safe passage. This is why she's called a bitch queen, okay? Fair and enough. that is legit what they, she is, the bitch queen. <laughs> All right. The word bitch is mm-hmm. in the book. I like it. In 5th edition. In 5th edition, even. Valkur, or Valkur, the the captain of the waves, is a chaotic good tempest and war god for sailors. He is odd here in this list because he is fairly minor. I would assume his power is slightly below that of the dead three even. Okay. Now, he is typically a counter to Umberly, being a refuge for sailors who don't want to bend to the bitch queen's will. Normally, he'd be outmatched by the god of the waves, but... The god of sailors is supported by Tempest himself. Okay. The neutral war god. The neutral war god. So Umberly kind of just leaves him alone. Mm-hmm. And finally, thank God for my voice, is the goddess of trade and currency. This is the only goddess of money. Which that is interesting. Weird to me. Um, the neutral. Uh, so Joaquin. Phoenix. Uh, no, no. Joaquin is the neutral goddess of trickery and knowledge and is symbolized with an upright coin of her own face facing left. Our lady of gold and the coin maiden is interested in wealth and growth of trade, be it legal or no. Her temples often take the form of guild halls and bazaars, and while those who follow her may have a reputation of scroogedness, the goddess herself frowns on any miserly behavior and instead... Wants everyone to participate in trade. Fair. Make one of her... T- a grow up. Make that one of her temples. She'd have no issue with that. She, she would have, have no zero issue, issue yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's grab the dice. Let's roll. Who was our favorite of the gods that we just covered there? I got a natural one. Eight. Eighteen. James, of that list, the final little chunk there, who's your favorite? Tempest, neutral war god. Okay. Big fan of it. For one, it's like one of my common usernames for games. Mm-hmm. I've had it for decades now. Fair enough. And for if there two, was one named Oscar here, he'd be my favorite. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. And just a neutral war god is something fun about that. Like they're in it for the thrill of war, but not the bloodshed of battle. Yeah. Brad, I gotta go with Torm. There's something about the honor of battle and the, but then dealing a swift hand when the time comes. Yeah. Right. Doing it right, but when the time comes, doing it. I'm going to go with soon. Now, not because of the sexy redhead thing, although maybe a little bit because of the sexy redhead thing, but also because she's the god of art and beauty. And uh, this also includes things like music, legit art, painting, creativity. This is the kind of thing she wants to patron, right? We have so few of these type of gods who are just there for the the, the awe-inspiring image of it, Right. So I love Soon as that, and I would love to see her explored as something more than just a sex god. Because mm-hmm. often she kind of just gets put there. Because it's your only one too, right? Uh, there are a couple gods that are close to that. But in this but like, list, like the only one that really had it right in the name there. Yeah, is is Soon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of gods. And I hope you can find some sort of inspiration for your own homebrew gods or your Forgotten Realms bound patrons. So Or your Forgotten Realms bound PCs, patron of choice. Keep in mind that in the Forgotten Realms, the full pantheon is acknowledged and revered or respected. But most people have a god that they choose to truly worship, grow the church of, and follow the tenets of. So the pantheon is worshipped in general, but most people choose a singular god. 
If you are making a PC, even if they are a religious, I would consider still picking a deity that your character has a bit more knowledge of um, from either their upbringing or backstory of some sort. As basically everyone in the Forgotten Realms are at the Christmas and Easter Catholic stage in their religious lives. Yep. Okay. They'll yep. go two times this, a year. Yeah. yeah. The gods exist, right? There's no denying them. I mean, I'm sure you could make an atheist. People have talked about it all the time, but in reality, in the Forgotten Realms, the and gods are existent and people. The way it. atheism works in the Forgotten Realms, at least the way I perceive it, is uh, one. The gods exist. But you don't recognize their authority. But you don't really recognize their authority as immutable gods. You'll yeah, respect you know, my authority. Like, you notice them as deities. They're just higher life forms. Exactly. Like right? a demon stronger than a human, but they're still... They're a step above a demon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that that's how atheism works. Um, that is straight up blasphemy in some cases, right? Mm -hmm. um, who, uh, Especially countries who are based around the worship of a god. Yeah, of course. Right? But uh, it's a very interesting take on it because, yeah, it's the gods in quotations, the lower G gods exist. Yep. Right. There is Ao, who sure. is kind of the upper G god. He's the overseer god. He's the creator god. He is the god that sits above the entire pantheon and is the creator of a beer and Torah. I mentioned him briefly in the last yeah. episode. Uh, he didn't make a list here because uh, he is so... Um, uh, deistic in his approach he's there but he left right he was there but he's gone he's a non-factor yeah right he watches and does not get involved full stop right and uh that's who he is he is by far the oldest god he's the creator god but he is just gone so is a non-factor okay guys let's grab the dice one more time before we hit the commercial Thank you for getting through the slog. I want to ask, do you guys see any missing glaring holes in coverage here from the gods? I got an 18. Four. I got five. Okay. Um, for me, it's the beauty, the art, the um, that, but also civilization. There are no strict civilization gods outside of, I guess you could say, Joaquin. Yeah. Right? Like, um, in previous editions, there have been. And, I mean, we're not covering the racial gods at all which there's like another 40 fucking things of those mm -hmm. but uh and there is a civilization god in there but like here gaunt yeah i guess is the close the closest thing you have to a technology and civilization god yeah it feels not much lack, there it feels very lacking yeah um for me because we've recently covered it uh domains of delight right the arch fae like there's not a lot of fae coverage in no, what we well, discussed no here. because a lot of the fae i mean you think of the raven queen yeah she's sure. a, she's she's a shadow lord i, I guess right? more what we didn't cover here right yeah is in the fact and then obviously we're going to cover in a minute but arcana we didn't cover yeah right there's very Glory well hole. i there's a lot of arcana deities sure in terms of like, minor but well no you have ogma or sorry not ogma you have uh mistra you have yeah well we didn't cover mister right we're gonna yeah, get into we'll, it here. we'll get into her in a second but like i see what you're saying yeah, yeah. james uh, for me, it's just the way that most, a lot of them have, a, like, a direct counter. Like, the twins, uh, the twin sisters. Yeah. Saloon and, uh, yeah. yeah. And then other ones who you would think would have a counter have no counter. So, mm -hmm. like, something that's super powerful should have an opposite counter to balance. There needs to be a yin to the yang. Yeah, yin to the yeah. yang, a yeah. balance in the scales. And then there's a few of them that are highly powerful, putting a lot of weight on one side. Without an equal and opposite counterbalance. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was just thinking as well, we don't really have anybody for Twilight, right? We have night, we have day, right? We have moon, uh, we have sun, but we don't really have that in between. I mean, if Who you, you were if you to? were to have a Twilight cleric, I would yeah. probably assign not assign, but recommend uh Saloon. Like the moon yeah. god. Yeah, but uh, Miliki is actually pretty good as well because she she's got a little bit of that flavor, that that transition. Sure. A nature god. Um Look at the there's there there are some elf gods and some of course yeah that, once you get into the race but uh, but if you're playing a half orc you're kind of pooped yeah if you're a half orc twilight cleric there's not a lot of offer, options yeah because twilight is neither moon nor sun right? right you're in that in between and that's where it gets and that's what makes it so interesting mm-hmm. if there is one I might say Char right go with one of the shadow gods mask yeah. or Char yeah. or something right or as long as it doesn't affect play have you have two gods. You yeah, are yeah. supported by a day god and a night god. Yeah. So yeah, them together it. are... They're fighting between, over your... Yeah. Because they are in direct conflict. Yeah. yeah, and at level 20, you need to decide. Yeah. You pick, do you go daytime or do you go nighttime? nighttime. Or take them both out and become the god of all of it. Or just ask. Or just ask. By them. some right. of these standards, <laughs> they'll just hand Or just some. become your own of the in-between. I love playing with the gods in my campaigns that I, I either homebrew or that I run. Um, so... I would love to play for that character, like run the game for mm. that character because no, it is a big fucking deal. You have made a character decision and I'm going to play into oh, it. Yeah. Like um, I'm kind of at a loss for one of the players in my game because their story is kind of sort of wrapped up. You and, can kill that character. And I asked the character what he wanted and his response was power. And I went, <laughs> man, like, no, like, I, I don't know about that. I kind of am stuck on that it's character. You. It's me. It's you. I, I'm going out myself <laughs> on this one. Shit, it's you. I got stuck. Well, it, it's just so you just need to have that punch, that goal yeah. for maybe maybe uh, stop being a dick to your fellow party members might be a good way to start. <laughs> Pick Everybody one party guy. member you're going to be nice to from That's now right. on. That's oh, right. Bigger dick to the rest. Of I, I've already picked that character. No, no, you switch. Actually, that character picked me. Yeah, that character picked you yeah. oddly. Oddly, no, yeah, 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 I didn't see own. that coming. What the hell, Trish? <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's move on to a commercial. Hello everyone, it's Megan. I finally get to do a commercial spot all by myself. Just me, just you, hanging out, talking about commercial stuff. Now Dan and Adam came to me a few days ago and politely asked me if I would record a little blurb about liking and subscribing and leaving reviews on iTunes. And I graciously and humbly agreed because of the kind-hearted and warm person that I am. So here I am asking you to like and subscribe. And let's be real, it took both of them a lot of courage to come and ask me this question because they knew they had to do so with kindness. So please, come along, leave your reviews, comment, tell your friends, buy some merch, however you want to help support the podcast. We love the time we get to spend with you. But don't forget to support some of the others associated with the podcast as well. All their accounts are on Instagram. You can find our logo artist, Katie, at Clementine Art Portraits. The music guy, Tyler, good guy, could use more love at Melodics Music. Uh, you can even find peps uh, at pepperina underscore sparkle gem or even myself on Instagram at omegart, zero M-E-G-G-A-R-T. And of course, you can always go onto the It's a Mimic and harass Adam and Dan there. So remember to take a few minutes for every episode you listen to and boost up those metrics with likes, comments, follows, and subscriptions. And if you have a business, online store, or passion project that you'd like us to show the world, reach out to info at itsamimic.com to buy some ad space here on the podcast. Let's work together to build this community up. 
Okay, so I will be covering the Spell Plague and the Second Sundering. Yeah, we, we, we've talked about them a bit, and I said we would cover them on this episode, and when it comes to the gods, a lot happened with them during those events, so, um, and I want my voice to have a break, so. Yeah. It's all you, James, go ahead. Okay, the Spell Plague was the collapsing of the weave, and... Without the weave in existence, the shadow weave fell apart and it sent the whole world to hell. Arcane magic no longer functioned. It was caused by the assassination of Mistra, heavily believed. The spell plague was also called the Blue Breath of Change by the inhabitants of Abir. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spell plague was caused by the assassination of Mistra by the hands of Sirik and Shar. Which stopped, what, how the spell plague stopped was by the year 1480 DR. The spell plague ended with an un, ugh. by the year 1480 DR, <laughs> the spell plague had ended with an event known as Mistra's Return. The second sundering started with Ao's decision to recreate the tablets of fate and to separate the worlds of Fabir and Toril, which took place in the decade of 1480s. DR. Yeah, so, DR so, stands so, uh, so basically what happened was Sirik and Char teamed up together. They uh, did this to gain power over Mistra and the Weave, seeing the Weave as kind of this thing that could really drive a lot of their um, uh, ambitiousness to for power, right? Yep. So they killed Mistra, straight up murdered her, and did not realize that with her death, the weave basically falls the apart. The weave falls apart because she's the one that holds on. But what I was also reading, some scholars in the Forgotten Realms have noted that Mistra has died and been reincarnated before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not yep. So they're not sure if the death of Mistra was actually the cause. Yeah, there's some yeah. debate, but it's generally widely accepted. It's widely accepted, but yeah. a lot of things can be accepted that are wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Gravity. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, Brad, full of hot takes today. Um, the, the one thing I want to point out is, from a meta perspective, the um, the spell plague was kind of in there because Dungeons & Dragons went through a major foundational mechanics change. From 3.5, which was very rules and dice and math-based, to powers-based abilities in 4th edition. The Spell Plague ushered in 4th edition. Spells don't work, y'all. Now you have powers, right? And that's kind of what they did. It was very intriguing, very cool. But with a tabletop game that played like an MMO, they kind of hit short of the goal for it. I know there's a lot of fans of um, 4th edition, and there's a lot of good in the edition. Rightly so. There's a lot of good in the edition that can be pulled out. But um, that 10-year gap, um, the one thing we should note is that the editions kind of follow the yearly timeline. So that 10-year gap was the 10 years that 4th edition existed in real world. Mm-hmm. And then they went, okay, now second Sundering. 5th <laughs> edition. Yeah. yeah. Okay, more on the second Sundering. Some of, there was a prophecy about the occurrence of the Sundering in 17600 DR. Then in the year 1484, most of the gods created their own chosen mortals, so their own chosen heroes, tried to gather as much power together before the sundering occurred, um, before the new tablets of fate were created, sealing their status and portfolios. 
there was also tons of war. A bunch of war broke out. Yeah. The following year in 1485, more war, always fun. And then the great rain also began to fall continuously on the Sea of Fallen Stars. At the end of the year 1486, after much flooding, the rains finally ended. The year after 1487, stars reportedly fell from the sky. Gods long thought dead walked the lands again. Armies led by the chosen clashed across the land. Massive upheavals of land, massive upheavals of lands, Toral was split from the lands, and lands that were once thought lost were once again trading in the harbors. One of the biggest changes from the Second Sundering was that it ended the Spell Plague, being kind of the most important yeah, part mm-hmm. of all of that, and reshuffled the gods a bit as well. It did, yeah. So um, there is a section in the middle of the uh, of the main continent of Faerun called the Sea of Fallen Stars. Um, this is where a lot of these stars fell, right? Um, but the big thing is that's where a lot of that flooding happened, and... With that flooding came the a complete ge- geography change across the entire globe, right? And um, the spell plague kind of took a beer and Toral and smashed them together. They're kind of twin planets that sit on the same plane in this, or sorry, uh, in the same place, but like slightly dimensionally apart from each other. It's this weird little ambiguity between the two. Um, that ambiguity was held by the weave. With the destruction of the weave, so came the destruction of that ambiguity, and then it uh, crashed together. Like, listen to the last episode where we go over some of these countries that just popped up. Yeah. Right? Uh, Seemingly Um, out of nowhere. Seemingly out of nowhere. The second sundering was Aoked going, okay, fine, I'll get involved, and pulling these two planets apart again. And with them, cataclysmic events in both. Cataclysmic events, cataclysmized, undone. Though, like, yeah, all that kind of happened not from totally all that, undone, not all though. of it, but a lot of it from the initial spell plague was undone by the second sundering, especially a lot of the geographic, yeah, destruction. but a lot of the uh pantheonic because I mean, that's the topic yeah. of this episode. Yeah. The a lot of the pantheonic power shifted, Shift, yeah, right? Yes. The dead three were a massive part of fourth edition and and thus the spell plague era. And with the re uh, uh, with the rebirth of uh, Mistra and the, yeah. with the second sundering, their powers dropped so severely yeah. that they basically became little more than cult leaders, mm-hmm. right? Um, but at the same time, you have gods like um, Sylvanus, who was thought dead and is now walking around again. You have uh, you have this weird ambiguity, and I think this is why there's this ambiguity between Amanator and Lathander. I'm going to get the name right before the end of the episode. Just you watch. <laughs> so uh, there's, I think that's one of the reasons why there is an ambiguity. Because before the spell plague, they were one. After mm-hmm. the spell plague, they were two. And now they are maybe two, maybe mm-hmm. one. We don't know. Yeah. Right? So and fifth edition really has not covered a lot of that. And that's oh, it, It's okay. okay. Unless no, you're I, trying to find the information. Unless another, you're trying to run a podcast. Another source that... Out of left field, now that you mentioned that, that reminded me of the two gods being Roman and Greek. They're the same god, but they're not. Yeah. Um, there's the Percy Jackson series. The second part of that series, after the major first arc that they do, yeah. is talking about the Roman and Greek gods. And it's them, the gods struggling between their two personalities. 
Oh, that's so that'd be really another cool. really good source to grab that information. I never thought I would say that about Percy Jackson. That's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, guys, let's grab uh, the dice and let's roll initiative. Let's ask a couple questions here about the spell plague and the second sundering. Got a four. Ten. Six. All right. So let's pull back from the lore a little bit. Think a little bit about running your own campaign. Do you guys think you would have the courage to remove magic as a whole in your D&D campaign, even if it's only for a short time? James. I would have the courage to do it. I don't know if I'd have players after that game. Yeah, that would be a tough mm-hmm. one. It'd be a harder sell to my players you, that it happened whatsoever than the fact I was doing it. They would believe me doing it. Be like, yeah, okay, you want to screw us, but yeah, you need players who trust you. Yeah, for yeah. one, um, I would do it, and I would do it right in the middle of combat. Yes, your cleric goes to call on one of the gods for a spell, and boop, nothing happens. You, I would give them or, a warning a first. So, yeah. Spells will hit at 50% for the next two rounds after yeah, I decide it happens. Yeah. So something's wrong with it's your always... magic. We need to end this now. Sure. Yeah. And everyone yeah. who's got magic equipment, that's going to be at 50%. Yeah. So they're plus two shield. Yeah. Uh, just mark that down as so, plus one. So when you pull the rug, you need it needs to be a surprise. It, it but... a, it's enough of a surprise that something's going on, but oh, maybe there's just a spell dampening our powers here. Yeah. No, it's all magic gone. You have three rounds to get out of this combat before you die. Foreshadow the fuck out of this happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. It has to be tough. It has to be a rug pull. Yes. Like... The when, but if you have not dropped breadcrumbs leading yes. up to the mm-hmm. fact that there is a conflict going with the gods and it will result in magic falling away. Like, sure. have, if your party is having a shopping day, have a street corner preacher standing on a soapbox saying the end is nigh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Your party's going to look at him, think he's ridiculous. But no, you just straight up told them what's going to happen in five sessions. Yeah. Right? That's just a useful tip across in the general. board. If but your like, DM puts something in... Half the time it's nothing. Half the time it's everything. Several DMs have told me to shut my mouth when I've been playing games because I've <laughs> noticed their little thing. One of my favorite characters was a, my DM made it for me. He was a turtle barbarian with an intelligence of like seven. Dumb as a stump. And my DM had to eventually give me a circulate of intelligence just so our party could go places. Because <laughs> the rest of the party, like proper intelligent players... Couldn't figure out any of the clues he was dropping down. He just saw me <laughs> dying in a corner. Be like, I'm too stupid to know this. I can't tell you the things I noticed, guys. <laughs> he's like, here, now you can help the party. I'm like, thank God. That's that's why there's uh, midweek party-only chats that mm-hmm. don't involve the DM. Like, idiots, I noticed this. Someone else should have done that, too. I do that all the time. I do, too. Yeah. Um, so, with the second sundering and the... Um, Spell plague kind of being these massive reset buttons, right? And unresolved reset buttons, I should add. Like, yes. Cyric is still around. Char is still around. And they done killed Mistra before. Mm-hmm. And Mistra's back and is in full control of magic. And yeah. uh, what's going to happen? You don't That's know. It's up to you. Sixth edition. Sixth edition. No. Um, we see these things as big campaign resets. Yeah. Do you guys have an idea... For a campaign reset for your homebrew campaigns. James, you first. Oh, fuck. Campaign reset? Something about resistances to physical damage. Everyone goes after magic. And like your the spell plague, the sundering, all loses magic. But everything just has resistance to any physical damage. Everything has just become hardy and sturdy in the land. 
Okay. So any bows, arrows, knives, swords. Sucks to suck you're not as good as you used to be. Hmm. So it, rather than dropping the magic. Yeah. But, but what's the event that would cause that? God fight is usually God the best fight. way to go about God it. God fight. Yeah. God yeah. fight. And it's instead of being the cause of the fight itself, one of the gods that was fighting just buffs everybody because they know there's a god fight. Okay. They're like, in case the gods spill out into the area you're in, you have a better chance of surviving if you're physically buffed. No. Brad? Um, I'm going to go with the disappearance of the god of death. Nobody can suddenly die. Everyone is immortal. That is straight up the... Well, not the... It's not... Uh, sorry. That is very close to the plot of Tomb of Annihilation. Oh, is it? I have never yeah, played it. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Tomb of Annihilation is one you want to check out. Okay. It's not that. It's resurrection magic stops working. Right. Right? Yeah. And then And then those who have been under the effect of resurrection magic, those who have been resurrected, yeah. start Done. getting sick and dying. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, I'm going to go with more of that. No one can die. So the god of death has disappeared off the face of the earth, and all of a sudden, people are living. People are getting stabbed and not dying. The gods that accompany death, like there's the god that takes your soul. There's the god who writes down your soul. Uh, There's the god that ferries your soul. It's homebrew, right? So if you're gonna have a homebrew, maybe it is just the one god, one god who does it all. But if you're doing it for Hades level god, right? But if you're doing it for Forgotten Realms, how do you do that? Oh, if you're doing it for Forgotten Realms, yeah, that's another story. All of the gods of death have been banished or chained up, or you block one part of the god, like the god of death who collects the soul. So everyone's dying, but, yeah, they, but can they just can... hop right back in their own body because yeah, no they're, they're right there. Either. No one's taking them away. Yeah. So here's how I would run a campaign reset. Go until, play your regular campaign until uh, probably about late May, early June. The summer is when people are camping. So guys, we are going to be going away for three months. Have a big climactic battle with your party. End it in a cliffhanger. Okay. In one month, we will be meeting up for a single... One shot with level 15 or 18 characters. One shots are always the way to do these sorts of things. Have a group party um, dismantle something key to the foundations of of how the world works. Gravity suddenly doesn't work. Uh Uh-oh, you knock the planet a centimeter off its axis. Fuck. Right? Like something major happens. You drain an ocean. Mm -hmm. Right? Something foundational happens with this party. In a month, we will come back for another one shot. And, and uh, this is a, another month has passed, and this is where the world now looks, right? In a month, we will now be meeting for one more one-shot, okay? So we've met in July, we've met in August, it's now September, school's starting to get back up, we'll have a one-shot, and then we'll take a two-week break and we'll get back to the normal campaign. And you have destroyed the world with these series of high-level one-shots, mm-hmm. and then you uh, drop the drop little hints throughout all three of them. That some event has happened and now these high-level parties are reacting and failing. They are destined to fail these one-shots, these effects. And then you find out because of your one-shot that your party did that your party, your original party, is the one that caused the fucking world to end. Mm -hmm. And now your party, bared with that level of responsibility, having seen the effects of their actions without really knowing it was their fault, now has to play restitution, Mm -hmm. right? And... I mean, you could straight up have one of those campaigns being magic doesn't work anymore, guys. You are a series of fighters. Mm-hmm. Okay? Fighting doesn't work anymore, guys. You are a series of mages. Right? Yeah. Figure it out. High level. Yeah. Right? And then you go back to your party after having a big break and you are dealing with the fallout. You killed the big bad evil guy and his plan ruined reality. 
Now you have to remake reality as your party, right? I reject your reality and replace it with my own. <laughs> well, if you want to uh, reject more reality and replace it with your own, you can always check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. We're always accepting emails at info at it's mimic.com. So if you got your mailbag questions or you just want to pester Adam and Dan, email them at info at it's a mimic.com. Also, wherever you do check us out, be it podcast, YouTube, anything else, social media, if you can leave some positive reviews or some comments, you know, just things, engagement, right? It helps yeah. us kind of spread the brand. The more you engage with us, the more we can engage back with you on a personal level. But it also helps us kind of grow the community and become more interactive. Now, heading out of that, we're going to head into Mistra as promised earlier in the episode. So we discussed really briefly the spell plague in the second sundering. Um, we're going to discuss kind of the central figure of the spell plague and the second sundering, the main person who is kind of at the heart of the spell plague, and then the result of the second sundering coming back together. So Mistra herself is synonymous with the Weave. Her and the Weave are one for all intents and purposes within the world of the Forgotten Realms. She is a greater deity of knowledge and the arcane. If you go back to previous editions, she's also been referred to as the Mother of Mysteries, Lady Magic, and One True Spell. Mm. Magic doesn't effectively does not exist without Mistra, as we have seen in the Spell Plague. Yeah. Uh, you cannot have one without the other. Uh, you touched on it, James, that there have been times where she has disappeared and magic has continued. But in those moments that she's disappeared, she's usually had a proxy acting on her behalf. Uh, one of such proxies is known as Midnight. Um, I'm not going to do a big dive into Midnight. That's old, old yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. But uh, Midnight is effectively Mistra as well. Um, Mistral's first name is actually, or Mistra's first name was actually Mistril. Mistril sacrificed herself, um, to, in order to protect the weave during an event known as the Carsus's Folly, which is an event that involved a bunch of fantasy bullshit that really is not the focus of this episode. But, <laughs> you know, if you want to go back, really interesting story, do yourself a favor. This go back was in like it. the days of ADD. Yeah, this is really early ADD, on. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting story. I recommend if you are interested in any of this, go back and read it. But uh, we don't have the time today. Her second death came at the hands of Sirik, who is the Prince of Lies, and Shar, the goddess of night. And that was the cause of the Spell Plague, as we discussed. The Spell Plague and Mistress' absence lasted 10 years, as James mentioned. And she returned thanks to some significant effort by Elminster. If you want to know more about Elminster, go back to Forgotten Realms Part 2. He's also the Chosen of Mistra the, and, like, yes. a cleric of Mistra. Like, his god disappearing. This guy's the most powerful mage in the, yeah. in the oh, planet. And he loses a lot of his magic yeah. as well, right? When his god disappears, he loses it. So he's got a pretty vested interest in many ways of making sure she came back. And it was thanks to him that uh, she returned. There's not a lot of current 5th edition information on, you know, what's going on with Mistra, what she's up to. I mean, yeah, you got to assume she's got to have something that she's she's at least going to want to have a conversation with Sirik and Shar at the very least, if not more. Um, but really, none of it is official. And if you go through any fifth edition fifth edition materials, you're not going to get a lot of depth. Um, they're kind of relying on you to homebrew it to whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. At one point in time, there were actually a number of spells and magic items related to Mistra, and they were available to her devotees only. So for spells, to name a few. There was any spell which allowed clerics to cast some minor arcane spells, which is a big deal. Yeah. Right? Uh, there was a much bigger divide between the arcane and the... Divine. Divine than there is in 5th edition. They blur those lines a little bit. You got feats and things that let you do that. You could not do that unless you're a cleric of Mistra in earlier editions. 
There's also a spell called Magefire, which could be cast with multiple clerics of Mystery Got Together, and it, you could use it to simultaneously remove Curse, Poison, and Disease, all with one spell cast. Cool. But it did require at least two casters, and more. the more casters you had beyond that actually provided even greater strength to the spell. Spell Ward was an ability granted to uh, clerics of Mystery, which allowed the caster to grant immunity to one wizard spell of their choosing. So oh, any arcane shit. spell, you could have... Power word kill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Legitimately, you could choose yeah. power. Yeah, that's not gonna... No, counter spell. You, you can't. I'm immune to counter spells. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh super powerful. Super powerful. You can see why oh, it doesn't exist sh- The DM with the okay. shit-eating grim throwing a counter spell, and you're like, ah, ah, ah. Uh-huh. Say the magic word. Yeah. Ah, ah, ah. Only one spell, though, so pick wisely. Yeah, counterspell. Counterspell. Yeah. Easily. Excellent. Yeah, excellent choice. As my glass cannon, easily, easily. counterspell. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Um, and then there was also another one called Spell Flight. Anyone want to guess what Spell Flight does? Did, did it make you fly with spells? It, yeah, it was a spell that lets you fly. Basically, you could fly using magic, but it was only available, again, to followers of Mistret were the only ones who, So you couldn't cast it on anybody else. You could only cast it on yourself. And like the other spells, it required more than one caster. So basically, you need a couple clerics and mister to get together to cast the spell, and then they could all fly. So back in the day, there was a thing uh, where, and the Red Wizards of Thay were a big example of this, mm-hmm. with like uh, uh, group casting, yeah, right, group rituals, right? Sure. Uh, and the Red Wizards of Thay are known for the fact that they would get seven other Red Wizards together in a circle, and they would all cast a spell to the great effect. Yeah. Right? So I... Love that this is here because that needs to be more of a thing in 5e. There are there are 10 minute rituals, there are hour long rituals. Sure. There is not a spell that's like, hey, get a bunch by of the rules, people. get a bunch of your friends and you need them there to cast this yeah. spell. And not just random people. You need people yeah. who actually know what they're and, doing. And I mean, you could homebrew it like sure. Mercer does with his res- resurrection spells, right? Like, you could homebrew it and like, everybody has to chip in to guide the soul back to the yeah. body. Sure. I want to see but, other spells than Resurrection have this kind of ability. Mm-hmm. And right? nothing is just sufficiently finished. Wish, wish oh, should absolutely. be a group spell. Yeah. Your party gets together, gathers the seven Dragon Balls, summons Shenlong, and wishes for underwear. Then not an enemy. That's my blind spot. I'll confess Do better. It. Do better. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> Excellent. All right. There's a few other spells, but those were kind of the big ones that stood out to me. Cool. Uh, specifically about- Mistress. So now let's get to some magic items. Yeah. Um, so a few notable ones that I was able to dig up from previous editions, because again, 5th edition does not really deal with the gods or god-specific items. Staff of Arcane Blessing, which gave a boost to spellcasting. I thought that said Staff of Arcane Blasting when I first read it. I mean, it. that would also be cool. I mean, effect- came in and started blasting. <laughs> blasting. I mean, effectively, that's what it is. Um, it just gives you any bonus to any, any arcane spell that you're casting. Oh, fun. Yeah. Um, there's the Flame Blade, which is a plus three short sword, which was worked a little differently than it does in current editions. Yep. But um, only usable by clerics, which did not have access to swords in previous editions. Um, and it also had the ability to cast a spell of the same name, Flame Blade. And then also there was a belt of Priestly Might and Warding. This belt provided bonuses to defense and strength. Checks. Which, which for a group of wizards, probably a good yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah, good idea. Yeah. A good, yeah. Cleric wizards. Yes. Right? Um, So those are... Books are heavy. Books can be very heavy. There's also a number of magical books and things like that, but as far as things actually had a bigger, you know, numerical impact on as far as magic items are concerned, those were the big ones that I came up with. Um, You've played longer, Dan. Can you think of anything else from Mistra? 
Any missing items? I mean, there's the Mistral, which is uh, several locations, is a large item that kind of amplifies the effects of magic uh, and from the weave, which is not really a Mistra item, but is at the same time because mm-hmm. it deals specifically with the weave. It's more of an elven thing. Sure. Um, and But the leader of the elves is one of Mistra's chosen. Well, as, well, as we've touched on, right? So, Mistra and the weave are synonymous, yeah, right? If so, it's the weave, so, it's Mistra. If it's Mistra, And it's, it's called a Mistrill. Like, yeah. I mean, come on. It's right there. So uh, to have 10th level, 11th level, 12th level spells, you often have to use the Mistrill mm-hmm. um, in a specific place where the weave and the ley line energies there are heightened. Yeah. So uh, those are some of the best, I think, and because these things are the size of buildings, they're not mm-hmm. just I'm gonna just poke this in my pocket and go sure. walk into the woods. No, this is this is a construct they tap in, right? That is ancient and guarded, kind of like an oil drill. And, well, and guarded, and guarded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like an oil drill in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I unfortunately didn't write this down, but I was thinking, Mister, I believe is Mister Midnight who is responsible for. The banishment of any spell over tenth level. Uh, yes, yes. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember if it was her. It was Mistra. It was Mistra, not Midnight. Yeah. That's the part I didn't write down. I want to cast tenth level spells. Yeah, sorry, Mistra's fault. Uh, Basically, the if you want to cast tenth level spells, then you are Netherese, my friend, because they are the ones who did it. Yes. That is the downfall of that. That is the reason why their empire died. Let's go to eleventh level then. Okay, <laughs> I want to play 10. a level twenty four character. Just skip tenth level. <laughs> Yeah, well, they died it's at like, 10. Yeah, so exactly. So let's go to 11. It seems logical. <laughs> All right. Um, so basically none of these magic items. Final tap stuck in my head. That <laughs> guys. Yeah, I, I really I, appreciate I you. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, so none of these items made it to 5th edition. Although if you have played Baldur's Gate 3, you may have found the Ring of Guiding Light, which is a magic ring that reflects light even when there is none. This item was created by a cleric of Mistra, but I'm not going to reveal too much more in order to avoid spoilers for those who haven't played or discovered this item in game. Okay. But it does exist. Isn't Guiding Bolt a light-based attack? Not Guiding Bolt, Guiding Light. No, no, I know. I'm getting yes. there. Okay. Guiding Bolt is radiant. Yes, yes. Guiding, okay. Guiding Bolt is And light. this ring can deflect all light. Reflect. Refle- yes. Technically, but yes. So a, a reflection of light sure. means yep. having this ring, Guiding Bolt, should bounce I, off you. As a... Yeah, I mean, it's in a video game, so I don't know. I well, a video game, with it, yeah, but, they may not. But if it exists in my table, I'd allow it. Yeah. I keep on forgetting to get Baldur's Gate 3. It's I amazing. don't know why. Uh, we'll talk. We'll later. talk. We'll do a play together. Now, Mistra, like the other deities, has special followers who she grants special power to called the Chosen of Mistra. Many of the other deities have their own Chosen. We didn't really touch on it, but yep. there are some very notable Chosen of Mistra. And so we're going to start with the most notable of them all, the Seven Sisters. So the Seven Sisters, who are also known as the Daughters of Mistra, consist of Anstara Saloon's Silverhand. Now deceased, she was once known as the Kindly Witch of Silverdale, who was slain by a red dragon, but, but persisted as a spectral harpist until she was later destroyed by the Church of Shar. Which is just like the final dagger. Yeah, there. yeah. It's just like, come on. Insult to injury, right? Yeah. Lucille Silverhand, known as the Lady of Silvermoon. She is the, like, Queen of Elves. Yes. Like... like Let's not pass over. She's the Queen of Elves. Um, Anastra is, I believe, her sister? Yes. Or her mother? Um, yeah, they're related. A, they're related. Yeah. But um, they're, uh, she is, uh, Illustrial is big deal. She is one of, like, she's one of the lords of the Sword Coast. Like, she is. Yes, she is. A member of the Lord's Alliance. That's what it is. So, like. Inc- yeah, well, she and she formed the confederation of the League of the Silver Marches, right? The yeah, whole Northern exactly. Alliance, yeah. right? So um, she she's she's a big big deal. deal. 
I did not mean to pass over her. Unfortunately, my notes got deleted, so thank you for covering my uh, clerical error. That's what I'm here for. Dove Falconhand. How's that for a name? Like, it. if that's not fantasy bullshit, what is? I do it. too, actually. Dove first, Falconhand? Yeah. So you're a bird that gets attacked by the by bird the other your bird? last name is? I hate it because I'm a, I'm a comic book fan and Dove mm. and Hawk are a thing, and yeah. fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah. I Well, good news. She is now deceased. Good. Um, she was a uh, she was a ranger and a knight first, a knight of Mithranor, um, nice. and a powerful caster second. Basically, she was so powerful that Mistra took heed and said, "Hey, you know what else you need? A little magic." Yeah. So uh, serve me, and I'll give you a little extra on top. Uh, next up on the list, Storm Silverhand, another one of the seven. So powerful, famous member of the Harpers, uh, also known as the Bard of Shadowdale. Cool. Laryl Silverhand was the Lady of Waterdeep and the wife of Blackstaff, the Lord Mage of Waterdeep. Together, they led the Moonstars, which was a secret organization spun off from the Harpers. You'll notice a bit of a tie with the Harpers here. Yep. The symbol, now deceased, was named uh, Alasra Silverhand, though very few actually knew her true name. She was one of the most powerful sorceresses in the history of Faerun and was also known as the Witch Queen of the Eastern Kingdom. Not Bitch Queen. The Witch, Witch Queen. Queen. Yeah. Um, she was also a former lover of Alminster. Yes, she was. Uh, Kill you, Velendorn, now deceased as well, was the only drow chosen sister. As such, she was known as the Dark Sister. She is now a weave ghost, which is basically a spirit who has become one with the weave. So a force ghost. Yes, force ghost. Yeah. Yes. So those are the seven sisters. Beyond the seven sisters, there are many more chosen, both living and dead. And let's start with the dead ones first. Ambre Alovian was a moon elf who was chosen by both Mistra and Sehanin for a short time before she was consumed by madness caused by the silver fires of Mistra. Really briefly, we should probably touch on what the silver fire is. Go ahead. The silver fire is basically a fire composed of pure magic from the weave. And if you spend too much time with it or in contact with it or near it, it can drive you mad if you don't have proper protection. And that is basically what happened here. And if you don't know who Sahanin is, that is because she is in the Elven Pantheon as the goddess of divination and travel and dreams. Mm -hmm. Like she's one of the big Elven gods, um, but is really just concerned with the Elven gods. Yes. Yeah. Again, was an elf, so it makes sense. Yeah. Um, we mentioned him earlier, but Kelvin Blackstaff Arson was the husband of Laurel Silverhand and was the Lord Mage of Waterdeep. And the creator of the Black Staff, which is yes. an actual item. Yes, it is. Yeah. A very powerful item. Very, very powerful item. Um, and the most interesting to me of the deceased, Sam Master. He was a powerful mage and chosen a mister until he chose to break off and founded the Cult of the Dragon, who discovered the process for converting dragons into Dracoliches. So thank you very much, Thanks, Sam Master, for Dracoliches. He himself uh, was killed, but came back as a lich himself. I would hope so. Until which point he was destroyed again, and at this point he's now considered to be dead. Dead. Gone. Good. He's not. All right, so let's grab our dice, and I want to ask a question. What tidbit from Mr. Lore separates her from the stereotypical god of magic? I got a three. Fifteen. Ten for me. What separates her from the god of, a general god of magic? How deep magic relies on her existence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Most other gods of magic, they're there to tame magic in some way or another, or push it down a certain stream or power type. Whereas she's just needed for magic to be stable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's the big difference between most gods of magic, right? She is not a god over magic. She is magic. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Right? The, the two cannot be separated. Of... Synonymous, yeah. 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 She's like a bad audio signal. Without her, it's a bad audio signal. You can't get magic without <laughs> her there. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> you know where bad, it hurts. Bad, bad James. All right, Brad? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say the same thing, right? It's that, it's that tie in between the two. How in like how intertwined she is with magic. For me... The thing about Mistra that I love more than anything else is her involvement with the world. She is one of the most involved gods in the happenings of the world and is constantly seeking to better the world and to uh, empower the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, she, it's very rare to see a god that involved with the interworkings and like having a group of heroes around them that is also well known. Like Mistra is a big deal if you are reading any book by anyone named either Ed Greenwood or R.A. Salvatore or any of the other uh, Forgotten Realms authors, right? Like, there are... Uh, Mistress is such a big deal, you need to know. Yes. Uh, you need to know about her if you're going to dive into this. So, her involvement uh, sets her above a god of magic for me. Mm-hmm. Because a god of magic, in particular, almost always is aloof and otherworldly yeah. and like mm. unknown. Hell, the god of magic in my world is aloof and otherworldly and unknown, at least so far. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys haven't met the seven wizards yet. But there there is a uh, yeah, I straight up stole the seven sisters concept mm-hmm. for my world. I as is tradition. As you should. As I should. Um but there is uh their involvement is something that is so amazing to me and mm-hmm. and the amount of legends surrounding even the ones that are long dead. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it's it's awesome. So, uh, if the death of Mistra brought on the Spell Plague, which mm-hmm. was a world-changing event, I want you guys to pick a god from the list that we talked about earlier, whoever your favorite god is, and tell me, if you were to DM the death of that god, what world-shaping event would occur? All right. So, Mistra died. Magic disappeared. Mm-hmm. World-changing event. What would happen if Ogma died? Or if um, Oriel died? Or, I mean, choose something more compelling than Oriel. Which is something Wizards should have heard about ten years ago. <laughs> oh. uh, five years ago. Um, so, like, uh, let's let's go for it. Uh, James? Yeah, so Manitar, the god of the sun. The sun no longer traverses the sky. That's alright, there's Lathander. No. Uh. <laughs> the sun no longer traverses the sky. So is it up there and steady? Depends when the party caused the issue. I like it. I li- and I also like how it's the party that caused 100% the issue. 100% the party. Almost yeah, any it's issue always is always the party's fault. Yeah. Yeah. So if they cause the issue while they're waiting for their long rest, the sun never comes up. If they cause it at dawn, it's perpetual dawn. Enjoy the world you've made. Solve it. Hmm. Best way, the way I would make them solve it is a sacrifice of them all. They all have to be willing to die for the sun to move. And if they're all willing to die, like willing, willing, then they don't die and the sun moves because they're willing to give their life force. But if any of them, which I'll ask them all separately and quietly, doesn't want to die, they all die and the sun doesn't start. Mm -hmm. So that one player will always know to themselves, they killed a whole universe. Emotional damage. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Very much so. Um, Brad? Uh, not my favorite god necessarily, but the one that intrigued me most from this list if they disappeared, Shantea. You have no more green. You oh, need yeah. to find a new food source 
And guess what? Most of your food sources probably also feed on grain. I, I would like to point out, I'm on keto. I'm okay with this. Are you though? You're no, on keto. Are no, you okay God, with this? No, it just makes everyone else suffer the same level I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine a world no grain, yeah. no barley, no whatever is grown in your fields is no longer grown. You need to find a new food source. And guess what? Most of the things that live on land also have lost their food source. Right. So you're going to have famine. You're probably going to have a lot of disease. And you're probably going to be turning to the sea for your food supply. I'm going to hate saying this. But for me, I think the most compelling god to die would be Melil, who is the <laughs> god of bards. All of a sudden, all creativity, yeah, all color, all song, all, all of that disappears from the world. That would be a hard one. Right? And, and having your party, especially if they have a bard, like mm-hmm. unable to um, maybe even be the only ones that could still feel that emotional connection to themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? And I would not make this a longer than like two or three session thing. But I I want NPCs that are normally like passionate followers to grow disinterested and walk away. Mm-hmm. Passion no longer exists in the world, right? Uh, it Everybody just becomes ambivalent and uh, uh, aimless almost, right? So because um, in my honest opinion, and this is just my opinion, song, creativity, those are the things like uh, – Passion, those are the things that drive us forward, right? Those are the things that push us to the next step. If we don't have that creativity, we don't have that passion, what's moving us on beyond responsibility. Mm-hmm. But if you no longer have the passion for those you're responsible for, why would you be responsible? Like it has so many like cascading yeah. effects here, right? So bring in a new god of bards and your party is responsible because they're the only ones that can feel their emotions to bring forth a new god of bards. Hmm. And it'll probably be the bard of your party. Uh, no, no, I put it at someone else. <laughs> they will make it themselves. <laughs> it won't work if they do. <laughs> Anyways, guys, that is it for this discussion on the gods of Toro. But there are lots. There are even more pieces of lore to Dungeons and Dragons. So subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll get a bit spooky and return to Van Richten's to see the racial options presented by the guy who's totally not Van Helsing. Totally not. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com as well as a store full of awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thank you again for listening to It's Mimic Podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. The following is an excerpt from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide on page 31, titled The Legend of Knucklebones, Skull Bowling, and the Empty Throne. Long ago, there was but one god of strife, death, and the dead, and he was known as Jurgle, lord of the end and of everything. Jurgle fomented and fed on the discord among mortals and deific entities alike. When beings slew each other in their quest for power or in their hatred, he welcomed them into his shadowy kingdom of eternal gloom. As all things died, everything came to him eventually, and over time, he built a kingdom unchallenged by any other god. But he grew tired of his duties, for he knew them too well. And without challenge, there is nothing. 
and in nothingness there is only gloom. In such a state, the difference between absolute power and absolute powerlessness is undetectable. During this dark era arose three powerful mortals, Bane, Baal, and Miracle, who lusted after the power Jurgle possessed. The trio forged an unholy pact that they would gain such ultimate power or die in the attempt. Over the length and breadth of the world they strode, seeking powerful magic and spells and defying death at every turn, no matter what monster they confronted or what spells they braved, the three mortals emerged unscathed at every turn. Eventually the trio journeyed into the Grey Waste and sought out the Castle of Bone. Through armies of skeletons, legions of zombies, hordes of wraiths, and gauntlet of liches they battled. Eventually they reached the object of their lifelong quest, the Bone Throne. I claim this throne of evil, Bane the Tyrant shouted to Jurgle. I'll destroy you before you can raise a finger, threatened Baal the Assassin. And I shall imprison your essence for eternity, promised Miracle the Necromancer. Jurgle arose from his throne with a weary expression and said, The throne is yours. I have grown weary of this power. Take it as you wish. I promise to serve and guide you in your essential until you grow, uncom grow comfortable with the position. Then, before the stunned trio could react, the Lord of the Dead asked, Who among you shall rule? The trio immediately fell into fighting amongst themselves, while Jurgle looked on with indifference. When eventually it appeared that either they would all die of exhaustion or battle on for an eternity, the Lord of the End of Everything intervened. After all you have sacrificed, would you not come away with nothing? Why don't you divide the portfolios of the office by engaging in a game of skill for them? asked Jurgle. Bane, Baal, Miracle considered the god's offer and agreed to it. So Jurgle took the skulls of his three most powerful liches and gave them to the trio so they could compete in skull bowling. Each mortal rolled a skull across the grey waste, having agreed that the winner would be he who bowled it the farthest. Malar the Beast Lord arrived to visit Jurgle at this moment. After quickly ascertaining the winner of the contest would receive all of Jurgle's power, he chased after the three skulls to make sure that the contest would be halted until he had a chance to participate for part of the prize. Bane, Ball, and Miracle again fell into fighting, and it was obvious their sport had been ruined. But again, Jurgle intervened. Why don't you allow Lady Luck to decide, so that you don't have to share with the beast? The trio agreed to this alternative, and Jurgle broke off his skeletal finger bones and gave them to the contestants. When Malar finished returning from chasing the skulls, he found that the trio had just finished the game of knuckle bones. Bane cried out triumphantly, As winner, I choose to rule for all of eternity as the ultimate tyrant. I can induce hatred and strife at my whim, and all will bow down before me while in my kingdom. Mercool, who had won second place, declared, But I chose the dead, and by doing so I truly win, because all that you are, Lord Overbane, uh, will eventually be mine. All things must die, even gods. Baal, who finished third, proclaimed, I choose death, and it is by my hand that you all take rule. Lord Bane will eventually pass to Lord Mercool. Both of you must pay honor to me and obey my wishes, since I can destroy your kingdom. Bane, by murdering your subjects, and I can starve your kingdom, Mercool, by staying my hand. Malar growled in frustration, but he could do nothing. And so yet again, only the beasts were left for him. And Jurgle merely smiled, for he had been delivered. People uh, should be straining to listen to the words I say. We, they hang on your Exactly. They listen breath. deeply to know I'm better than them. That is making the episode. Okay. <laughs> it's just going to be at the end of it. <laughs> perfectly okay with that. I'm if, sure half the audience already assumes I if, believe that. If it helps, I already know you're better than me, so there we're already go. there. Yep. Thanks for listening. Bye.